We're going into a sermon today that I'm titled Clean House. Everybody say clean house. Oh, you can do better than that. Say clean, what, hearts. What did I say, house? That's why you didn't say it. I still, you're like, that's not what it says on the screen. I'll say it, but that ain't what it says on the screen. (laughs) Clean hearts. Thank you very much. Well, since I haven't gotten to minister to you uh, in three weeks, and so we got to start off with a Boudreaux joke. So Boudreaux was standing there at the counter. He ordered a double cheese. He said, I want a double cheeseburger, fries, and a Coke. And the guy standing across from me says, you must be from Louisiana. He said, now, why do you want to say that? That's rude. He said, if I'd have ordered pizza, would you say, oh, I must be from Italy? If I'd have ordered a taco, would you say, oh, you must be from Mexico? Now, how come you want to say I must be from Louisiana because I ordered a cheeseburger and a Coke? He said, because, sir, you're standing here at Home Depot. With that being said, let's go straight to our key scripture today. Matthew chapter 15, verse 8 and 9. Matthew 15, 8 and 9. As we jump into this teaching today, I'm going to cover um, uh, uh, both chapter 15 and 16. I'll just kind of bounce around in some of the pieces in it. But I'm going to explain to you what's transpiring in these two chapters and what Jesus is really after and what he's trying to teach us. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 8 through 9, it says, These people honor me with their lips that their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that over the next couple minutes that you would open our hearts. That, Lord God, that by the end of this today, Lord God, that we would all desire a clean heart and that each and every one of us would start the process of cleaning the heart. Jesus, we want to be like you more than anything else. We don't want to go to church to just go to church. We want to interact with the body of believers, but every day we want to become a little closer to you. So it's with that that I pray that you would open my abilities to communicate your truth, oh God. And I pray that I would serve you well in this moment. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. So in this moment here in Matthew chapter 15, what has transpired is Jesus is there with his disciples and the Pharisees, they come to him because the disciples of Jesus have just eaten without washing their hands before they eat. And that's a no-no. It's it's a practice that they would consider unrighteous. It's not biblically unrighteous. It's just a practice that they felt like as Pharisees and as spiritual leaders of the day was inappropriate. And so they come to Jesus and they confront him on this. He says, why do your people not wash their hands before they eat? And Jesus, in wonderful response, like you and I would have done, knocked him up. No, he didn't do that. So he looks at them, and he says to them, he says, well, let me ask you this. Why do you break the law of the Lord when he says to honor your father and mother, but you say that if a gift is set aside for ministry or for the church, you don't have to give it to your parents? So let me explain to you what was transpiring. Uh, in, in that day, uh, th- they would take these possessions that they had, and uh, they would mark them, airmark them uh, as spiritual, as for the Lord. That maybe when they die, they would give it to the temple or the synagogue or whatever. Or, or it couldn't be used for anything but the Lord. And instead of taking care of their elderly parents or providing for their mom and dad, they would take these possessions, even money, and they would airmark them, this is for the Lord. And they had created a loophole that if it was for the Lord, then you didn't have to use it to take care of your family, your parents, i.e. I. not honoring your mother and your father. And so Jesus says, listen, you're going to come with this little dumb thing. He says, but the Bible, the Ten Commandments actually commands, and what's near and dear to the heart of God the Father is that you and I honor our moms and dads, and you're not doing that because you've set aside this little loophole that you can get out of doing that if you say it's 
dedicated to the Lord. And Jesus has this encounter with them that is pretty serious and pretty um, uh, evoking. I mean, this just sparks everywhere. And then Jesus turns to the crowd and he begins to teach them. He says, listen, it's not what's on the outside of the cup that makes you unclean, but what's on the inside that makes you unclean. And then back to our key scripture, look at it again. And then we pick up in verse 8 and he says, these people, talking about the Pharisees, honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. I'm not scared of anything that I know of. There was a time in my life I was scared of heights, but I really don't fear anything. I don't fear poverty. I don't fear you leaving our church and going to another one. I don't have any, I, really, I don't. I don't I, it's not because I'm so holy. God's worked those things out of me. I'm not scared of dying. I mean, when a man threatened my life one time to rob me, I'm like, dude, you're going to threaten me with heaven. How stupid is that? I, I'm, not, I'm, just, I'm just not scared of anything. The Lord has done that in my heart. But when I read this passage right here, a fear comes over me. I have to be honest. There's a shaking that goes on inside of me. And let me explain to you why. Because you've got to understand who the Pharisees are. See, for the last, at this stage, for the last 100 to 200 years, the Pharisees have become the, the, men, the men of righteousness. They have brought Israel and, and, and prodded Israelis back to loving God again. They have got, gotten them back to reading the Torah. They've gotten them back to obeying the Ten Commandments and the law of Moses. They, they had been taken over by the Greeks and the Romans, and they had all this paganism in them. And we know uh, at the opening of, of, of the book of, of Matthew, we know at the, at the birth of Jesus, prior to that point, for 300 years, the, the heavens have been silent. God has not interacted with Israel. He's been frustrated, aggravated, and agitated with them for 300 years and has allowed them to go into their depths of sin and has literally wiped his hands of them and just said whatever and then we see that the pharisees come along and they are righteous guys who are calling the people back to the temple calling them back to the festivals calling them back to the teachings of moses and the people are responding so in their era they are the most spiritually fit people on the planet they are the people more dedicated to the Lord and doing their best to live out as they, rep- as they see the scripture than anyone else. And Jesus calls them far from his heart. It scares me because I know if these men and all the righteousness that they're after and how they're living can get so far away from the heart of God in an attempt to try to be good, to be godlike, if they can do it, so can I. Come on, somebody. And when I look at people and I say heroes that I've had in the faith and say, how in the world did they cheat on their wife? What transpired? Were they always a fake? What happened? I knew them. I knew they loved God. What transpired somewhere along the way their heart became full of stuff and it caused them to be away from the lord i've titled this today clean heart i don't know about you but i don't want to have run my race in vain I don't want to be a fake Christian. I don't want to be a person who talks a good talk and stands up in front of everybody and says, this is how we all ought to live, and I'm not living that myself. I don't know God myself. I don't want to do the out-cleaning of the cup, but on the inside, I'm still full of bitterness, hatred, and looking at you with judgmental eyes, but on the outside, blessing, God bless you. Oh, hallelujah, I hate that guy. God bless you, hallelujah. I don't want to be that, but how do these righteous people become this how do these guys we're so critical because we're 2,000 years later looking back on what they had become but friend can you imagine if you lived in that day when a pharisee walked up you said that guy's righteous that guy's committed he's at the synagogue praying all the time 
He's always studying the scripture. He loves God. Oh, I'm a terrible person compared to him. That's what you and I would have done in that era. And yet Jesus says to them, your heart is far from me. You don't even know the nature of the Father. You know what he says, but you don't know why he says it because you don't have his heart. Are you with me? Say yes. And so as we look in scripture today, we're going to kind of look at how this whole heart thing comes into play. As you dive into the Bible, as you learn the Bible day in and day out, what will happen is you'll get an understanding of how the Bible considers the heart. You'll see all these scriptures about what the heart, it does this and the heart does this. Well, let me kind of help you identify when the Bible's talking about the heart, what it's talking about. It's on the screen. According to the Bible, the heart is the center, not only of spiritual activity, but of all the operations of a human's life. Continuing on, it's also the heart is considered the home of personal life, and hence a person is designated according to their heart. In other words, you are who you are based on your heart. You may show me one thing up front, but what's going on on the inside is who you really are. The person of Adam McCain, my heart is really who I am. It's with my heart that I love. It's with my heart that I sing out. It's with my heart that I forgive. My heart, the center, if you will, of my spiritual being. And that's literally how the, how the Bible sees it. Now, it's talking about a spiritual thing, and, and it's much less than the organ that pumps blood down through your body. It's talking about the core of who I am, and it explains it in Scripture, identifies it as our heart, the heart of a man. As Jesus is having this encounter with the Pharisees and he's trying to teach the people, listen, listen, I know they do all these things and I know it's become like they didn't even mean for it. It's rules and regulations, guys. Listen, listen, it's not what's on the outside. And let's pick back up where he says that to him again in verse 17 and to through verse 20 of 15. It says, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. Are you with me? Say yes. And these make a man unclean. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what make a man unclean. But eating with unwashed hands does not make him unclean. Jesus is trying to help us understand. Look, inside of the heart, there's something that's still not right. And it's from there. So the action is the result of what's on the inside. And so he's saying, listen, the outside is not what makes a man clean or unclean. It's not so much about the action that you went and you got with a prostitute. What was going on in your heart that made you lust after somebody else? That's where the problem is at. It's on the inside. That's where the glory is at. It's on the inside. It's not what's on the outside. That's just the product of what's going on in the inside. That's why the Lord is calling us to clean our hearts. Because if our hearts are clean, then our actions will be clean. If our hearts are right, then the way we live will be right. Are you with me? If we try to control the outwardness while the inwardness is still unclean, what happens is it won't work. It fights against each other, and that's where you get hypocrisy. That's where you get fakeness. That's where you say, man, that dude, ain't, he ain't real. That's where Jesus is saying, listen, hey, I appreciate your little thing about washing the hands. But look, your heart's not, you don't, even, you don't even know the Father anymore. You've got so busy trying to be right that you stop being right. This is unclean. Your motivation is wicked. 
Their desires are selfish. There's still bitterness inside of your heart. And you're actually responding with this because of jealousy towards me. Why are you confronting? Listen, why in the world would you want to get rid of Jesus? Now think about this. If you're a Pharisee and you're trying to get people to come to the synagogue, you're trying to get them to tithe more, you're trying to get the, the, the height of, get everybody hyped up to start coming back to church, why would you get rid of the most popular person you've had in 50 years? When Jesus came to the synagogue, the place was packed. It'd be like if Justin Bieber tweeted out, hey, I'm going to church on the hill this Sunday. There would be 10,000 14-year-old girls here. It'd be unbelievable. We'd have a youth revival. Justin is the other guy. Jesus is in town, and he's going to church. I'm going to church because he healed my cousin over in that other city over there, man. That dude's a real deal. And they would follow him. Why would you? He's getting people healed. People are tithing like they've never tithed. Why would you get rid of him? Because what's in the heart? Jealousy is in their heart. It's inside of them. And they can't help but coming against him and say, well, your guys don't watch. They should be watching. He said, mm, wow, what's inside of you is still wicked. Friend, let me tell you something. Going to church, you remember the old statement? Going to church don't make you a Christian any more than eating donuts make you a police officer. Being a part of the body of believers is wonderful, and I, and I want you to come celebrate with us every Sunday. I beg and plead that we come together. But that's not, the outside of that isn't going to fix you. It's when you and I surrender our heart and say, Lord, clean it up. Lord, get rid of the anger. Get rid of the hatred. Lord, help me get rid of the, the bitterness that's still left over from junior high. Oh, God, you've got to deliver me from selfish ambition. These are the pieces of the heart that are destructive. And as you look in the Scripture, you see that the heart uh, is used to describe many functions that we work with the heart, functions of the heart. First off, we believe in our heart. Romans says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. So it's from our heart. It's from that inner soul. It's that inner being that we actually believe or don't believe. You can stand there and go, oh, and I've had people do that. Man, do you love God? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the whole time I'm looking through those eyes going, no, you don't. Your heart does not believe in the Lord. Your heart does not want the Lord. You do not believe what I'm saying is true, but you're just being nice to me. Because inside of you is who you are. Your heart is the real you. Here's something else the scripture teaches us. It teaches us this. It teaches us that, um, that we love from the heart. Matthew twenty two thirty seven. We love from the heart. It's from your heart. You know, you, you, all the love songs is, I love you from my heart. I love you from my heart. Like from that organ pumping blood, you love me. So we know that we, that represents the core of who we are. What we're really saying is from the core of my being, the center point of who I am, that's where I love you from. I love you from the depths, my heart, if you will. Also, we see in Scripture that according to Colossians, we sing from the heart. That's why I'm always asking, come on, lift your hands. Come on, let's worship the Lord. Well, we didn't, we didn't lift our hands there our last church we went to. I know, and now that's why you're here, so we can help you. Why? Because, you know, because from my heart, from the place of love, do I lift my hand? Do I sing to the Lord? I'm saying, so say, well, I don't sing. You know, I don't have a good voice. You sang, to, you sang to her when you were courting her. You sang all kinds of little songs. I love you, and forever I'll be true. Please marry me, because I ain't got no money. Anyway, so whatever you, whatever you sing, it's from the heart. That's why you can't, that's why I'm always asking people, come on, sing. Well, I don't want to. I know, because your heart is stove up, and I'm trying to get it moving again. Because it's from the heart that I sing my love to the Father. It's from the heart that I love, from the heart that I believe. Look at else. 
Romans 6 and 17, Ephesians 6, 6, both say that from the heart we obey. We obey from the heart. You don't obey from the, not, from, from the intellect, you obey from the heart. Remember that little story, that little story, you know, the dad was sitting there trying to feed his little, four year, his little three-year-old, wasn't acting right, standing up in his high chair. He said, sit down, boy, or I'm going to whoop you. He sits down, I'm looking up, and all of a sudden he says, you know what, dad, I might be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. Well, that's really what submission is all about. You may tell me I have to do that work, but in my heart of hearts, I'm going to make your life miserable. I may do the job like you asked me. I may obey, but you don't have my heart. I'm not obeying you with my heart. And so I'm, I'm resisting. I'm going to cause conflict here just by my attitude. Come on, somebody. You can be doing it right and not have the right attitude, not have the right heart. Because your heart isn't obeying, although your action quote is obeying. Come on, you know that one. I want my heart to be right with the Lord. I want my heart to be connected to his heart. I want the internal part of my being to be connected to him. As you continue reading in the book of Matthew chapter 15, he moves over into 16, and he's still, he's still frustrated with this encounter with the Pharisees. And then he goes into this adage. He says, now listen, be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees. Be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees. He was still mulling over this interaction he had just had. And, 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 the, and the disciples think, oh, he's mad at us because we didn't buy bread today. And he's like, you big dummies. I'm trying to tell you, be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees. And, and, and in biblical times, rabbis would use the word yeast or leaven, as the King James uses it, to, to represent sin, sin of the heart even. And so what they would do is they would say, be careful of the yeast. Don't let yeast get into the dough, into your heart, into your inner being. In fact, the reason why they would use that illustration is because they use flat bread for all their food. And what they would do is the bread that would, excuse me, the dough, as the dough was being, you know, kneaded and they would put it into their little, you know, fire ovens, there would be the excess bread, the excess dough, excuse me, and that dough would be set aside and it would start being corrupted. That dough would start becoming yeastified, if, if you will. It would start being corrupted or it would start breaking down. It would start fermenting. And then what they would do is the next batch that they wanted to put in the oven, if they wanted to have, quote, yeast or they wanted it to rise or expand or whatever, they would then mix that fermented, corrupted dough into the new fresh dough that they had made. And then that thing would be put into the oven and it would, quote, corrupt it. And that's how they used it as an illustration. So rabbis were constantly calling the people to come out of sin. A little bit of sin will corrupt you. In fact, we see Paul actually dealing with this in 1 Corinthians. Let's look at this one real quick in 1 Corinthians 5. Now, the Corinthians were a seaport city and the Corinthians were, uh, were, were Gentiles that had gotten radically saved. In fact, they're having such miracles in their midst. They're having supernatural experiences. They're all experiences. They're all prophesying. They're all having words of knowledge. So much to the point that they're out of order in 1 Corinthians 14. He has to correct them. But in chapter 5, what has happened is Paul gets wind that these Corinthians are experiencing God's grace and God's mercy. And they're allowing one of their members to be a leader. And he has, uh, he has, he's having sexual relationship with his stepmom. And scholars believe the reason why the body of believers in Corinth were so quick to embrace him is because he was a wealthy individual and he was financing the church. Come on, you ain't never been to that church, huh? You won't find that here. You're not going to sit up on our stage and be wicked on the weekends, being an adulterous affair and leading worship just because you can play a piano. We don't need you. God bless you. 
You don't see that here. That's one of the things you love about this. Because listen, we're not gonna we're not gonna allow that wickedness to continue because in our hearts we need something. You validate us. No, we just need Jesus. And uh, we listen. We met in a Methodist church for four years on a Sunday night. I've met in the middle of a field. I mean, I, listen, I just want to love people and love Jesus, but we're not going to validate because of the seeds of wickedness in our heart because we're jealous or because we're competing with somebody. We're not going to get into all that because we're going to live righteous. So Paul's saying, listen, this is wicked. And look, let's pick up in chapter 5 and look how he communicates to him. He says, you're boasting about this isn't good. In fact, earlier he says, I'm not even there, and I can tell you, you better put the smack down on this dude and get him out of your midst or he needs to repent or something. And continuing on, he says, do you not know... Here he is using the same illustration of yeast. That a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast. Now, I don't believe he's talking about get rid of that person. Because if we get rid of every person that ever sins in the church, it ain't going to be any of us left. Somebody say amen. What he's talking about is you've got these seedlets of sin in your hearts. You're allowing, you won't confront him because you're scared he's going to leave with his tithe. Love the brother, confront him, get him to repent, and let's move on. Let's go back to being a new batch without yeast in it. That's what he says. And then he starts qualifying. Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast as you already, excuse me, as you really are. Oh, that's powerful. Catch this. Same thing Pastor Chris Estrada said the other day. So he says, listen, you need to get rid of the sin because this is not you. He goes back to their identity. Your identity, this isn't you living like this. This isn't you being like this. You're supposed to, you're in Christ. Go back to who you are. Stop allowing the sinfulness of this yeast in your heart and allowing these things to continue. This wickedness, this selfish ambition, all of these pieces of insecurity, doubt, and unbelief. Get them out. He says, so you can be you. Because that's not you. That's not who you are. It's not who God called you you to be. Friend, when you and I start cleaning our heart, it's because this isn't who we are. We shouldn't be bitter people. Come on, somebody. That's not you. That's not your calling. You shouldn't be a pervert in your heart of hearts. You shouldn't be that person trying not to look over there, trying to get that out of your heart. Why? Because that's not you. You're like Christ. You ask Christ into your life. You've joined yourself with him. And, And you are a new creature in Christ. The old has passed away. Everything's become new. You say, yeah, but I'm still struggling with that stuff. I know. That's why we got to clean our hearts. Constantly cleaning our hearts. When I told you I fear that concept earlier, it's because how, if I'm not careful, I will become embittered in my heart of hearts. I'll become perverted in my heart of hearts. I'll become selfish and full of selfish ambition in my heart of hearts. You'll not know it. No one will see it. It'll be deep on the inside. Come on now. And then before you know it, it'll spring forth fruit from the root of my heart. That's why we got to constantly be cleaning our hearts. Are you with me? Say yes. And so look what he does. He continues on. He goes, that's not you. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not the old yeast. The yeast, look what he calls it, the yeast of malice and wickedness. Remember this because we're going to come back to that piece. But with the bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. Can I tell you something? The reason why... You and I can get free from the things in our heart, the yeast inside of us. It's when you and I will come back to the place of sincerity and truth. They say, you know what? I did it. You know what? I've got this in me. I can't stand that person. I hate them. I'm just going to own it. I've been, trying to, I've been trying to pretend it wasn't there. I've been trying to faith it away. But the truth of the matter is, I am struggling with perversion. I love it. I enjoy it. I need God to clean my heart because it's coming from within. 
You clicking on the internet is not, is not the problem. It's what's inside of you that's the problem. It, you reaching out and punching your, your spouse is not the problem. It's the anger on the inside that's the problem. It's not what's on the outside of a man that makes him unclean. It's what's on the inside that's creating everything else. Come on, you with me? Say yes. We have to clean our hearts. Say yes. As we continue on, there's this piece in Scripture where the Bible is constantly warning us not to harden our hearts as Israel did, as so-and-so did. Do not harden your hearts. Those of you that saw the old, you know, Disney movie, you know, uh, Prince of Egypt, King of Egypt, Prince of Egypt, Prince of Egypt. You know that that was the story out of the book of Genesis. It was the life experience of Moses and the Pharaoh of Egypt. And if you go back there with me for just a moment, we'll look at it. In Exodus chapter 17, God has asked Moses to go back and deal with Pharaoh and ask him, no, excuse me, command him to let God's people go. Well, Pharaoh has been using these Israelites and whatever other groups that he's conquered as slaves to build all the facilities that he's building. Pyramids, whatever else they were building. And so he had free labor. And so you're talking about a few million people and you want me just to let them go. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Our whole economy is built on these slaves. And I'm not just going to let them go. And so God says to Moses, says, he said, he's not going to listen to me. He says, what do you have in your hand? I've got this, I, I, I got this uh, uh, staff. He says, throw it down. It turns into a snake. He says, see, I'm with you. Go, go do that in front of me. So he throws down this, the staff in front of Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, that ain't nothing. He gets his ma- uh, magicians. They throw down their staffs. They swallow, swallow up uh, Moses' staff. It comes out, breaks forth, blah, 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 blah. And the Bible says that Pharaoh still won't let the people go. And let's pick up where God says that to him in verse 14 through 15, just verse 14, excuse me, of Exodus chapter 7. Then the Lord says to Moses, said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart, everybody say heart, heart. is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. If you keep reading, then you know the 10 plagues. More plagues come, more plagues come. And every time after the plague comes and Pharaoh says, no, I'm not going to let it go. It says, and the Lord, King James says, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart so he would not let him go. That, that's, not a, that's not a proper context. Because if God is hardening hearts, then he's taking the will away from people. And we don't believe that God takes our will away from us and makes us be, go to hell or makes us go to heaven. We have free will. He doesn't take the will away from, from, uh, from Pharaoh. What he actually does is he shows him miracles, but because of the workings of Pharaoh's heart, he refuses it, and his heart becomes hard. The Puritans, who sought to have Christianity serve God the way they wanted to and came to the United States, the Puritans had this statement. The sun that melts the wax is the same sun that hardens the clay. In other words, your heart, if it's got seedlets of anger, disbelief, if it's got seedlets and pieces in its DNA of of, of wickedness and unrighteousness, then when the Son of God shines down on it, instead of melting it, what it's going to do is it's going to harden it. I'll give you an example. I watched Dorothy and Dustin Dallenhauer go through the most horrific thing that I've ever walked through personally, physically with a family. Dorothy gave birth to that little baby girl there at the house. That little girl lived for just an hour or two. I forget how, exactly how many minutes it was. And then after they had said it's, their goodbyes to her after she, she died, they called Pastor Adam. So I went over there four hours later, and I held that dead baby. And they were looking at me like, will you raise, him from, will you raise her from the dead? She's got multiple contusions and things on her little body. 
And we sat there and wept together. Wept. And I'm sitting there going, oh God. And because I've been pastoring for so many years, I had a concern. I didn't know if this was going to cause their hearts to melt before the Lord or harden before the Lord. I wasn't sure what was in there that no one can see that was in their internal being, that was in their heart of hearts. I wasn't sure. I knew who Dustin and Dorothy were on the outside. I knew who they were as my friends and and, and small group leaders who I loved and I cherished very dearly. But I didn't know if there was any speck down in that DNA. There was something in there that now that that light begins to come down upon it, that situation happens. Is it going to harden them or is it going to melt them? If I leave... This wax candle here under these bright lights, because it's really hot up here. That's why I'm always sweating. It's not because i am got a problem. It's, it's really hot up here. If I leave that sitting here and I leave this clay sitting here and come back tomorrow under these hot lights, this will be melted and this will be as hard as a rock because of what it's made of. Because what's in its DNA. Because what it's a part of. Because of the fabric of what it is. Come on with me. If your heart still has bitterness in it, then when something happens, when the light of life shines down on it, it's not going to be able to be soft because it's made up of bitterness and hatred. You still have sexual immorality in your heart of hearts. You still have anger in your heart of hearts. You still have selfish ambition in your heart of hearts. And what happens is life causes light to shine on that and it either softens you and you say oh god oh god help me through this circumstance or you say see i knew you were never there for me and i watched this little couple take that little baby and the coroner came and handed that baby over and i thought oh god please god give him strength not give him strength To not be hateful or bitter, but give them strength to walk through this, still holding your hand, Jesus. But I didn't know what was in their heart until they went through it. And can I tell you, that next Sunday, after giving birth, carrying that child nine months and not having a baby to show for it, having buried that child that week, Dorothy stood on this stage and prophesied to us. She stood in front of us, her and her husband said, God is good. And though we're in pain, and though this hurts, God is still good. Because their heart was that of wax. It just melted before the Lord and said, Lord, I'm in your hands. And no one else can I trust. You alone are my God and my salvation. I've watched others go through something half as difficult. And the moment it happens, they go back to the clubs. They go back to smoking dope. They'll go back to beating their spouses. They go right back because it wasn't fair what happened in my life. I got fired unexpectedly. I lost a loved one unexpectedly. God, where were you? It was what was in their heart. How many of us look back on friends that we knew? How many leaders, Christian leaders, have you known? You're like, what happened to them? They were so awesome for God. And now, now they're like in homosexuality. They, or they hate God. Or they, they're, you know, they're atheists. What happened to them? It was already in their heart, guys. It was in their heart. That's why we must clean our hearts. That's why this passage, but your hearts are far from me, strikes fear in the heart of Adam McCain. Because I know those guys were doing what they knew to do. Paul saw, Paul the apostle, thought he was righteous in destroying Christians. Thought he was doing what was right based on his doctrine and theology. Only to be knocked down by God. And Jesus said to him, why are you doing this to me? And him then having the revelation. 
oh my goodness, it was all out of selfish ambition that I would not admit that Jesus was the Messiah. It was all out of protecting my religion that I would not seek the truth when it was right there in front of me. They say about the Pharisees, the Word of God says, and they decided that day to kill Jesus because they were scared of losing their position with the Romans. The Pharisees didn't kill Jesus because he was unrighteous. They didn't kill Jesus because they disagreed theologically. Jews always disagree theologically with each other. They love to argue about that stuff. They didn't kill him because he was taking people away from the synagogue because he was bringing more people to the synagogue. They killed him because they were scared of losing their position with the Romans. How many churches have been destroyed? I'm not talking about buildings and I'm not talking about services. I'm talking about body of believers have been destroyed because of the selfish ambitions of the hearts of men. The things that were in the heart that never got cleaned out. And the moment pressure came, it hardened their heart instead of melting their heart. Oh, friend, listen to me. I'm I'm passionate today because I don't want to be that man. I don't want to be said, your heart was far from me. Boy, you built great churches, pastor. You preached some good messages, man of God. Hallelujah. But your heart was far from me because it was full of seedlets, full of pieces that when the light that's why some of you, the moment God begins to use prophetic stuff come to you, it, it, it hardens you instead of softens you because you still have that, well, I used to be somebody. I used to do this or I used to do that. How dare, I'll, I'll never forget when God used this 12-year-old to prophesy some direction in my life and I'm looking at him like, I got to make a decision here. I have prophesied around the world, laid hands on sick people, blind eyes and open, and now you're going to use this snotty-nosed kid? It can't be the Lord. It cannot be the Lord. And had to say, ooh, look at that pride still in there. God, get that out. Go ahead, buddy. Give it to me again. Give it to, in fact, let me record it so I can go back and listen to it. And Lord, work that out of my heart. Because it's the heart of a man. It's what's inside of a person that makes them unclean. Are you with me? Say yes. Come on, are you with me? Say yes. There were these two guys. Dateline did a special on them. Ed Homer and Mike Clouser. In December 1981... <laughs> There were four of them in Alaska doing a tour. And they were flying over Alaska just looking at all the beauty of the mountains, the snow-capped mountains. And they were flying over Mount McKinley when a wind gust thrust their airplane, their six-seater airplane, to the side of the mountain and crashed them. One of the passengers were immediately killed, completely dead. The other three lived. But the one was injured very bad, excuse me, had very... uh, serious injuries, and only made it another 24 hours, and then that that man died. And so left alive was Ed and Mike. Ed and Mike, right before they went down, had radioed, we're going down, we're going down. And so that emergency broadcast went out, and immediately an emergency rescue team began to jump into action to go save them on the side of this mountain. The problem was a giant blizzard came in. The rescue team fought through the blizzard to get halfway up the mountain, but could go no further after the first 24 hours. They sat there for three days, not being able to see their hand in front of their face. For four days, those men sat there in that airplane. What little bit of warmth they had through a couple of blankets. As a result, Ed lost five fingers, four or five toes, completely frostbit. On the fifth day, Blizzard broke, 
The rescue team climbed up the side of that mountain, got them, got emergency helicopters in, got them off the mountain, saved those two men's life. Ed lost fingers and toes, but Mike lost both his legs to frostbite. 17 years later, Dateline did a special on them. And they put the two men side by side in their broadcast. Mike, excuse me, Ed, who had lost the fingers and the toes, but had lived and survived, was a bitter old man. In fact, he sued the rescue team for not getting there soon enough, but lost his lawsuit. Had lost his job, had lost his family. Mike, on the other hand, although he had lost more with his legs, learned to hike with his prosthetics. He became a pilot for, the Ameri- for American Airlines and a trainer for those with disabilities that would pilot for them. He then went on to take his prosthetic legs and climb the mountain that tried to kill him. The difference in the heart that is clay and the heart that is wax. See, the difference is that Mike had already secured in his heart, God is still good no matter what comes in life. And on the other hand, it's got to be somebody's fault. It must be God or whoever else that I've lost some fingers and I've lost some toes and I'm disabled. And as a result, life is terrible and I'm going to make everyone around me terrible all experienced the same situation both of them did but the responses are totally different because of the condition of the heart say it with me because of the condition of the heart say it one more time because the condition of the we've got to clean our hearts we've got to clean our hearts guys we have to clean our hearts with this i'm reminded of the passage of david in psalms 51 where he says, creating me a clean heart, O God. It's a beautiful passage. We used to sing that song. Creating me a clean heart, O God. But it's better to understand that passage of Scripture if you understand the place from which it comes. See, David had fought off all the tragedy of life, being rejected by Saul, tried to be murdered by Saul and his army. God puts David as king. David is now, all of his dreams, all the prophecies have come true. He's united the kingdom back. He's defeated all the enemies. And it says in the time when kings go out to war, that David stayed behind. And as David was on his rooftop getting up at about 3 p.m. in the afternoon, go research it, he slept in. He's been watching movies all night long. And he gets up as the king. He's conquered everything. He's living in the favor and the glory of the Lord. He doesn't have to sacrifice anything else anymore. He's now in the blessings that he's been praying for since he was a kid are now come to pass. His dreams have come true. He looks out over his balcony and he sees a woman down the street bathing on her rooftop because at 3 p.m. in the afternoon, all the men are out to battle. And that's when women came in from the uh, fields and were bathing. He sees her lust after her in her heart, has her brought to him, has sexual relationships with her, and impregnates her. When he finds out he's impregnated her, he calls the head of the army and says, send so-and-so, send him home so that he can, can come and meet with me. And he says, oh, you've been, her husband, he says, listen, you've been so good, I want you to go home and relax and be with your wife. Because his plan is, if he goes and has sex with her, then they'll think that it was their kid and I'll be covered and no one will know it was really my kid. And so the guy says, no, I can't do it. Look at the honor of his heart. 
He says, all my buddies are out there dying on the battlefield. I will not. And that night, he slept at the front door of the palace and would not even go home and interact with his wife. After trying to get this guy to change, David couldn't. He realized, I've got to do something else. So he sends him back to the battle with a letter, his own death sentence, to his commander. So, obviously, he doesn't open the letter. He's not supposed to. Commander opens it, and David says this. Listen, put him on the front lines. And when the battle gets real heated, blow the trumpet and tell everybody but him that when you blow the certain sound, they are to retreat, exposing him and leaving him to to be killed by the enemy because he'll be by himself. Unbeknownst to this young man, he's in the middle of fighting, living honorably, living righteously, and the king basically has him killed. Weeks go by, the prophet comes to visit David. He says, David, i got to tell you a story. Something that's happened. David says, what is it? He said, there was a wealthy, wealthy man with plenty of sheep who lived next door to a poor man who had one little sheep, that one little lamb that he had raised since it was just a baby lamb. It was like a personal friend, a pet, if you will. The wealthy man had an unexpected guest come and stay the night with him. As a result, he wanted to fix him a great feast, so he went next door and stole the lamb that belonged to the poor man, killed it and fed it, cooked it and fed it to his friend. David said, this is horrible. He says, I know. What should be done with this man? David said, this man should be killed and everything he has should be given to the poor man. And the prophet looked at him and said, David, you are the man. You could have had any of the women of Israel, but you stole another man's wife. Then you killed him. We're talking about David. He is called the man after God's own heart. You want to talk about a man whose heart is connected to God the Father, it's David, who's wrote the majority of the Psalms, who's a warrior of warriors, who's a righteous man, and now David has done this horrific deed. Why? Because something is in his heart. And so he responds with repentance, and this is what he writes. Oh God, create in me a clean heart. He doesn't say, oh God, I'm so sorry for my actions. I've been a pervert. I've done, oh God, fix my heart because my heart is who I am. There's something in who I am is broken. It's not what I'm doing. The doing is a result of what's on the inside. It's not the outside that's the problem. It's what's on the inside. God, fix the inside. Good. Fix the inside of me. Why do I keep doing this? What's broken on the Clean my heart. Amen. Clean my heart, oh God. I don't even know how to do it. Clean my heart my heart so I don't defile myself any longer. Listen, Christian. Listen, believer. It's your heart that needs to be clean. You keep saying, oh, if I'll just stop looking at the porn, if I'll just stop punching my wife in the face. No, no. You're punching her in the face because something in your heart isn't right. You got anger in your heart. And so a message like this is like that light shining down. It either will melt you or it'll just harden you and you'll leave this place going whatever. He didn't melt you, and you go, that's me. Oh, God, fix my heart. Or you walk out going, yeah, whatever. See, I fear, lest Adam McCain's heart has seedlets like a King David, like some of these great men and women of God that I've served before. It's like, how did you do that? What was in there that none of us could see? Going back to our key passage, and Jesus said, but their hearts are far from me their hearts are far from me 
the implication there is that they're doing these things, saying they're doing them for me, but their heart's far from me. I have people who work with me, work for me. I work for people. And I've had people who, quote, represented me. Well, Pastor Adam wants you to do this, this, and this, and this. And then there's this conflict that arises because they do that. And they come back, well, you did want them to do that, right? Yeah, but you dishonored them in the way you approached them. So though you, what I wanted, I did want that action to happen, but you didn't have my heart in the way you presented it. So you caused a greater problem because you didn't have my heart because you wanted to tell them they were wrong and you wanted to use my name and me in my position of authority over them as a bullying point to get them to do what you wanted them to do. You didn't have my heart in it. You just wanted to get it done the way you wanted it done because of the seeds of uncleanliness in your heart. I believe that we can clean our hearts. I believe it. I believe Scripture sets precedence for it. In fact, I'd like to give you three ways that I see, according to Scripture, that we can clean our hearts. You still there? Give me three more minutes and I'll wrap us up. Number one, we have the ability to clean our hearts, and here's how you go about doing it. Number one, remove the malice and the wickedness. That's what, that's what Paul told him. He said, listen, in, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 5, he says, listen, he said, let us get rid of the yeast of malice. Let us get rid of the yeast of malice and wickedness. Friend, listen to me. Listen to me. He incorporates it all. Malice, what I want, how I want it, when I want it. Let's get rid of that out of our hearts. We can rid ourselves of malice and wickedness. We can do it. We can say, no more will I think like that. No more will I be like that. No more will I submit to that. I kill that. I crush that in Jesus' name. And then, and then Paul went on to say, and then let's infuse sincerity and truth. So removal of wickedness, removal of malice coincides with infusing truth and sincerity. So you can't remove wickedness if you won't admit that you have it. You can't infuse truth if you won't stand there and be sincere and say, I need God. Change my heart. The reason why that Psalms 51 marks me, the first time I read it, I wept over that passage. Because I felt, I felt the sin that David committed. The righteous man with stuff in his heart that he never dealt with. And in this moment, it comes out. In the moment... That he's finally a success. Friend, listen to me. Be careful. I have seen great men and women finally come into their dream. But because their heart was unclean, it all gets destroyed. I've seen some of the most amazing people cry out to God. And then God finally fixes the marriage. And they fi- but they never clean their heart. And six months later, they're completely separated and divorced. God tried to do a miracle, gave them the desires of their, gave them the dream that they were praying for, but they still had an unclean heart, and all it did was destroy it. Let us clean our hearts. So the third piece that I see through Scripture, and that is that we draw near to God's heart. Draw near to God's heart. If Jesus said, their hearts are far from me, then doggone it, I want to get close to his heart. I don't read the Bible so I can preach good messages to you. I read the Bible so I can know God. I I, I don't sing and worship so you'll say, oh, my pastor worships. That's good. I sing and worship because I want my heart connected to his heart. If you want to have a heart relationship with somebody, what do you do? You spend time with them. You watch them. You listen to them. You go, oh, that's amazing. Tell me more. Tell me more. Oh, that's great. That's awesome. 
When I first got saved, they could not have a service that I wasn't at. We got a kids leaders meeting. I, can I come? Well, you're not a kids leader. I know, but are y'all going to talk about Jesus? Yeah. Well, can I just come and sit in the back? Okay. I would, I would go to any, I go to old people prayer meetings. I go to young people prayer meetings. I go to anything because I wanted God. I wanted his heart in my chest. I wanted my heart connected to his heart. Can I tell you something? If your heart's connected to his heart, all the uncleanliness in your heart will just be washed out because the blood pumping through Jesus' heart will come into your heart and pump all that junk out. I don't worry so much about trying not to be bad. I just try to know Jesus every day and his heart begins to beat in my chest and it just seems to work out. I start becoming like him. How do you clean the heart? Go ahead, start removing that malice and that wickedness. Some of you need to go repent to some people. You've hated them. They've done you dirty. You say, but I'm right and they're wrong. Maybe so. But you got the unclean heart and guess what it's going to do to you? You're going to be hard-hearted if you keep that stuff in there. That's a part of that. Now that you've got that a part of you, you've got that, that unforgiveness inside of you, I'm telling you, that part's going to get hard. It's going to get hard. You, you want a soft and tender heart? Listen, you, you, you got to get to the place, man, you can't hurt me. You can't steal from me. I'll give it to you. God bless you. I'll give it to you. What do you want? You can't, you can't lie about me. It's probably true. I probably did do that. I love you. I'm sorry. Oh, well, can't talk bad about you no more. Right. Because my heart's clean, and I'm going to keep it clean. I'm going to keep it clean. I'm not going to let you put your trash in my heart to where my heart then becomes hard, and now my heart is separated from Jesus. How do you become a Pharisee? Because you got little places in your heart that you didn't remove. It becomes hard, and then your heart becomes removed from his heart. And next thing you know, you're a Pharisee who doesn't even believe that he is their Messiah anymore. Ooh, help us, Jesus. You and I called to have clean hearts. I do a cleaning out of the heart about once a week because people love to throw up on me. They love it because I'm the pastor. It's got to be my fault. There ain't nobody else around. I'm the only one responsible. Uh, people throw up on me all the and heart, My heart gets wounded. It hurt because I love them and I don't want them going through that. And I have to clean that heart. I mean, I've got to do a spring cleaning about once a week. I say, oh God, I just released that from you, Lord. I just, and I, sometimes I have to write emails to them. I love you. I'm so sorry. It's not even my fault. You're the idiot. But I want, a, I want a clean heart. I want a clean heart. I want a smile. My smiles aren't fake. Anybody who knows me, just say, he's really, he really does. He loves life. I do. I love Jesus. Because why? I got a clean heart. I don't got anything embittering me. I don't have any malice in there. I, not that it hadn't been there. I just keep throwing it out. Take out the trash. Take out the trash. So it doesn't stink up my heart and become hard. Amen. Stand with me all across the room. You guys have been magnificent today. I love you so much. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to minister to you for just a couple of minutes. This is a strong word because we're going to be a strong church. And I knew that I could minister truth to you because you want truth. I knew that this is the, that I've got a church that's like me and my wife. We're full of wax. Just melt me down, Lord. Put me in the mold that you want me to be in. I have no selfish ambition. My life's not my own. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you just to take a moment. I want you to put your hand over your heart. Would you do that just symbolically for me? And as you put your hand over your heart, I want you to, I want you to search your heart. You got any malice in there? You got any hurt, any bitterness? 
You got any selfish ambition? You got any perversion that's lingered in there? Stop trying to fix the outside of the cup. Let's get to the inside of it. Who am I? That's not who you are. Sir, you're not a pervert. That's not who God made you to be. Ma'am, you're not to be. God did not create you. Your identity is not to become an old hag, bitter at life. That's not, you're not to, you're, God did not make you to walk into a room insecure that they all don't like you. That heart's unclean. You need to take that trash out. I want you to take a moment. Take about 60 seconds. You and the Lord. I want you to have a private space right there with the Lord. Nobody's here. Pretend like nobody's in the room. It's just you and the Lord face to face. And I want you to ask him, so Lord, help me clean that out. Lord, help me get that out. Lord, show me if there's anything I need to do. As you do that, you're just repenting. You're just saying, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for allowing that thing to fester. Forgive me for allowing my heart to become, you know, bogged down by that. I want a clean heart. I want a fresh heart. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a right spirit in me. Oh, David knew. He knew what the problem was. The problem wasn't so much what he did with Bathsheba. It's what was going on on the inside of him. It caused him to do what he did with Bathsheba. God, clean my heart. Get to the root of it all. Come on, let that insecurity just melt away right now. Father, we just pull up those seedlets, those weeds that are permeating, you know, become hard spots. Get rid of the yeast, oh God. Cut out the yeast, oh God, before it, before it expands. Hardens the whole lump. Father, I pray for your people right now in Jesus' name. Lord, I've done my best to be obedient. To share with them what you're sharing with me. To administer life and truth to them. I believe in them so much, God. Lord, I know that you're, they're your people. They're not my people. They're yours. And Lord, I know that many of them, this word was for them, that you've already been kind of whispering it in their ear, like you've been whispering it to me for weeks. Lord, I know, Lord God, that men and women in this room, they sincere about their love. Lord God, help them be truthful with what their heart state is. Lord, help them right now in Jesus' name. Lord God, to be honest and authentic. And Lord God, give them the understanding of what is the next step. How do they proceed? And Father, I just pray grace and mercy. Lord, I know you can recondition our heart. Clean it out now. Clean it out now. Lord, when they go to bed tonight, may they have such peace because they can say, you know what? I cleaned that out. I'm not living under that. That doesn't dictate who I am anymore. Father, I just pray that. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're away from the Lord today, you say, Pastor, I gotta be honest. I, I'm, I'm not a Christian. I, I, I used to be, I think. I don't know. I said a prayer when I was a kid. Or maybe I used to serve the Lord, but things have happened. Life has gone on, and I seem to have taken the wrong path. I'm here today. Maybe you've been coming for weeks. You say, Pastor, I feel the Lord calling me to come home to him. I realize I'm in sin and I want to repent. I want to change. I don't know how, I don't know what to do. Friend, I got great news for you. Jesus did every bit of it on the cross. All you have to do is receive. It's all been paid for. He's been paid, it's been paid for. You get to eat at the buffet for free. It's already been paid for. It's already your house. You say, well, then what do I do? The Bible says, confess with your mouth, and here comes the heart, and believe in your heart. In the core of who you are, you declare, he's my God and my Savior. The Bible says he'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. 
Today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're away from God, you're not a Christian, but you want to come back to Jesus, or you want to become a Christian, I want to pray with you. Would you be courageous enough to admit that? Would you be sincere and tell the truth for once to yourself? Say, yeah, that's me, man. i got to be honest. But I want God. If that's you, with no one looking around, would you lift your hand up and admit that? And I'll pray with you. God bless you, sweet love. God bless you, sir. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you, sir. God bless you, sweetheart. Thank you. Thank you, for Thank you, buddy. Thank you, man of God. Anybody else? Give about three seconds. Pray for me, Pastor. It's time. Okay, I see your hand. Thank you, sir. Thank you. You can put it back down. Thank you, sweetheart. Thank you, buddy. You can put it back down. Two more seconds. Anybody else? Say, Pastor Priest, I'm away from the Lord. I don't want to look. Thank you, ma'am. I see your hand. You can put it down. There's been 10, 12 of you already. Here's what I want to do. I want to lead you in a prayer of repentance. You see, what does that mean? I'm just going to connect you with Jesus today. I'm going to take your hand, his hand, and put them together. And I'm going to start the conversation for you by just getting you to repeat the prayer. The prayer is not magical. The word's not supernatural. What's supernatural? You lifted your hand, admitted in your heart of hearts, I need God. Now, with your heart, I want you to believe and confess. So across this room, I'd like everyone in the audience to help these 10 or 12 who lifted their hand pray this out loud. Say, Jesus, today I repent of my sin. I ask you to clean me. Make me right. Fix the broken spots. I humble myself and say, I need you, Jesus. I accept your forgiveness and I receive your Holy Spirit into my life. Write my name in your book of life, and I promise to serve you forever and ever in Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed. Father, I pray for every man and woman who lifted their hand right now in Jesus' name. I pray they would sense forgiveness. Sense it. They may not be able to intellectually be able to comprehend it, but may they sense it in their knower of knowers. Lord God, may they know that you've washed them clean. They don't have to perform. They don't have to give money to the church to be holy and right with you. They don't have to do 10,000 Hail Marys and all this stuff. Lord, they're clean because you say they're clean because they've asked. Let them sense that, know that, and feel that. With your head bowed and your eye closed, Father, I pray for every congregational member here. Lord, I pray right now, Lord God, that that heart would be clean. They would sense the cleanliness. That they'd start realizing, oh God, that this is a weekly endeavor of the believer. Lord God, that they would set aside what that person at work keeps doing. And they would clean the hard drive. Clean that heart up. And I'd say, I will not. I will not allow bitterness in my heart. Lord God, that they will, they will take the past and all the things, all the lies and the hurts. Their old sin that keeps tormenting them. And clean the hard drive, Lord. And just say, it's no more. And I'm not that person. May they know who they are. In Jesus' name.